Well, it's good to be with you again today and have the opportunity once again that we have every week, which is to open these ancient scriptures and to seek to gain not only insight into God's will for our life, but to understand the gospel in new and fresh ways and seek to apply the wisdom that is there. And so we're continuing in our study of the book of James, trying to think through what it means to have a real-life spirituality, that is to have the, the beliefs that are given to us in the scriptures take root in our life and to affect every aspect of our life. And we're going to see that today in the scriptures as we dig into what Dan just read for us. Let me ask you a question. Are you a good listener? <laughs> Hopefully you're hearing that question I just asked. But it's a fair question, right? We probably live in one of the most distracted times in history. There's so much going on. There's so much coming at us. We have these little pocket computers that we hold in our hands all the time that is constantly pinging, constantly calling for our attention. I was convicted of this the other day when uh, two times back to back my wife was talking to me and I realized I was paying more attention to my phone than I was to my wife. And then my daughter was trying to get my attention about something and I was more dialed in to my phone than I was into the question that she was asking me. And so are you a good listener in general? Maybe one of the best ways to find that out is to ask those people who know you best <laughs> how well you listen. But let me take it one step further. Are you a good listener of the Word of God? If these ancient scriptures that we have that tell the story of Jesus are the very words of God, how well do we listen to them? In our daily lives, in the times when we come together like today to open the scriptures and to hear from them? Let me put it slightly different. How has your appetite for the Word of God been lately? We're working our way through this book of James, and James is opened up by addressing the issues that his hearers are going through. If you remember from our times before, James is writing to the first Christians who were scattered due to the persecution in that first church of Jerusalem. And he knows that they're going through it. And he's writing to give them instructions on how to, to survive it, basically. And so he opens up by telling them, to count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. He wants them to know that in the chaos of their lives, God is actually at work, developing their character, trying to make them more like the Lord Jesus Christ. And he knows that we're going to need wisdom to be able to handle that. So James writes, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives generously to all. In fact, the original says it's the constantly giving God who gives wisdom to all. And one of those good gifts that God gives to us comes down to us from his very hands. And we're, we left off our study last week with these words in our ears. Of his own will he has brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. This is one of God's good gifts that those followers of Jesus who heard the original message was actually birthed into new life by that message. And those of us who hear that message and respond to it do so because God has birthed us into life by that word of truth, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we're going to go a little bit further with James today, looking just at verses 19 through 21. And we're just going to call our study today, Receiving the Word. How do we receive the Word of God, specifically the gospel? So James begins in verse 19 and says, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Those first few words, know this, could actually be translated either as um, a command, like you need to know this, 
or as what's called in, in grammar, an indicative. You know this. What is it that we should know, or what is this that he commands us to know? Simply this. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Let's list those words right there. <laughs> they kind of grab hold of us, don't they? Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. As you think about your own life, how do these words hit you? Do they bring conviction? Do they bring inspiration? Now let's just be clear. James is not writing here just simply as a life coach. He's not simply just giving us some, some good instructions to follow to make our lives better. Remember, it's in the context of following Jesus. And James, as well as the other New Testament writers, know that discipleship is a lifelong apprenticeship with Jesus in a new way of being human. As James thinks about the implications of what it means that Jesus lived and died for us, and the kind of life that we're called to live in response to that, it's simply a new way of being human. And this new way of being human is a way that is quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Sam Alberry helps us out when he writes, James is not making a public service announcement. He is writing to help Christians wholeheartedly live out their faith. In particular, James is mindful of how many of his readers are facing trials of many kinds. And this is particularly important advice for those who are suffering. It is in times of severe hardship that we can be much slower to listen and quicker to speak. We can be consumed by what we're going through. It is sometimes all that we can think about, and therefore all that we're likely to want to talk about. We listen less to what others are saying, our own experience and take on what is going on drowns out everything else. So let's remember that context. It's when we're going through especially difficult times that we need to be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. So let's just break this down a little bit. James says, let every person be quick to hear. Let me just ask you this question. Do you think humans in general are good at listening to one another? <laughs> it's kind of a humorous question to begin with, because I think most of us would say, no, we don't listen to one another very well at all. How about when we're angry with one another? Are we quick to hear one another? Are we more concerned that we get our point across, that we prove that we're right and that other person is wrong? Or how about, as I mentioned a while ago, when we're constantly distracted by what's going on in our hands with these internets and pictures and pings and everything that come with us. There's only one internet. I put that in the plural, but that's kind of weird. But anyway, you know what I mean. <laughs> I was thinking about this, and I think one of the times that we are quick to hear is when gossip is being told, right? It's amazing how fast people's attention snaps to place when gossip is being spoken. But I think James, when he tells us to be quick to hear, has in mind something very specific. If we think about the context, he's already told us in verse 18 about the word of truth, that is the gospel. And then in verse 19, he tells us to be quick to hear. In verse 21, he's going to talk about the implanted word in our life. And then in verse 22, which we're going to look at next time we, we jump into James, he says, be doers of the word and not hearers only. So when James tells us to be quick to hear, he's speaking about the truth, the word of truth the gospel about Jesus Christ, the good news of our salvation, and how we are called to live in light of that. That's the context of what James is speaking about. So when we hear him say, be quick to hear, he's thinking primarily in terms of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good word of truth about him. 
See, the writers of the New Testament knew this. If Jesus is the King of kings and the Savior of the world, then allegiance to him is everything. If he is the King of kings and Lord of lords, and if he's your Savior, then we ought to hear intently what he has to say about our lives and how we're called to live as his followers. Now, for the original scattered audience of Jesus, Jesus, I put Jesus here, I should say of James. For the original scattered audience of James, being quick to hear would have meant regularly gathering to listen to the scriptures being read and to hear about the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. In the midst of being scattered because of persecution, James still wants them to get together to hear about the good news of Jesus. Edmund Hybert, in his commentary, put it like this. Swift to hear requires that they, be, uh, that they be eager and attentive, ready to receive and assimilate the message heard. Let them use the opportunity to increase in the knowledge of the word of truth. I mean, even in the midst of difficult times, James still wants his audience to gather together to be eager and attentive to the word of truth, the gospel of salvation, and what it means to live a very difficult life that they are now experiencing in light of all that Jesus is for us. That same principle applies for us. The Apostle Paul wrote to his young protege in the faith, Timothy, these words, Devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, and to teaching. Now, Timothy was an early teacher in the New Testament church. In fact, Paul entrusted him with several congregations and gave him great instructions. So he was to be reading the scriptures to them, to exhort them, to teach them. But we can also take this uh, instruction here and think about how it ought to apply to our lives. We ought to devote ourselves to the public reading of scripture, which we do every week here at Mercy Hill. We read the scriptures and we open them. We ought to devote ourselves to the exhortation that's found in there and to the teaching. It's no small thing that we are able to gather together today to open the scriptures, to hear them read, and to hear them being taught. Think about how many people around the world don't have the the wonderful privilege that we have right now in doing what we're doing. So the question then becomes, how, how does the word fall upon our hearts? You may remember a time in the Gospels when Jesus was talking about how the, the word of God is scattered about humanity like seed. And he talked about how some seed fell among the path, some fell among, among rocks, some among thorns, but some fell among good soil. And it's that last good soil that the gospel, that is the word of Jesus, the message he had about salvation and the kingdom of God, all of that takes root and then produces fruit. Jesus would say this, as for that that is the the gospel, in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. Jesus knows that his word is going to go forth. His church is going to speak it. His disciples are going to speak it. His followers are going to speak it. And it's going to hit different kinds of soil. How's the soil of your heart? When James tells us to be quick to hear. We need to hear him encouraging us to bring attentive hearts and minds to the word of truth. And so this is a good opportunity for us just to to kind of check ourselves and ask how attentive and how eager are we to hear the word of God. Now think about this for a moment. You and I have something that that New Testament church didn't have. Those early followers of Jesus that James had the privilege of pastoring before they were scattered everywhere did not have a complete copy of the scriptures. 
Synagogues had scrolls that contained the Hebrew scriptures, but the New Testament was still being written. And so what they had was the oral teaching about Jesus. And you and I now have the Gospels compiled in the Bible. You and I have the teachings of the early apostles now contained in what we call the Bible. We can read it any time. We have, probably most of us, multiple copies of the Scriptures. And we have apps in our phones, too. If you don't have this one, let me encourage you to check out the Dwell Bible app. You can, you can listen to the Scriptures being read in a number of English translations. You can have different speakers speak. You can even put ambiance in the background as well. We have so much more opportunity to hear the Word being spoken than probably at any point in history prior to us. We have opportunity to gather together with friends and to open the scriptures and to, to study it together. We do this in our life groups as we reflect on the scriptures and God's will for us. We have opportunities to do this just one-on-one -on -one with one another as we get together and encourage one another. Hey, what have you been reading of scripture lately? How's, how's the scripture been making its impact in your life? Eugene Peterson, in his interesting book with the title, Eat This Book, said this, Christians feed on Scripture. Holy Scripture nurtures the holy community as food nurtures the human body. Christians don't simply learn or study or use Scripture. We assimilate it, take it into our lives in such a way that it gets metabolized into acts of love, cups of cold water given in Jesus' name, missions tend to all the world, healing and evangelism and justice in Jesus' name, hands raised in adoration to the Father, feet washed in the company of the Son. I love that. Christians don't just study or read or hear the Scripture. We assimilate it into our lives in such a way that it actually produces fruit. So let's stop and ask ourselves this question. How are you doing in hearing and assimilating the Word of God? What kind of effect is it having in your life? Just think back over this last week, this last month, this last year. How well are you doing at hearing and assimilating the word of truth? Well, James wants us to be quick to hear. He also wants us to be slow to speak. <laughs> so I was thinking about how to, to talk about this with you. This question popped in my mind. How might your life be different if you could take back just three things you've said? Three things that you were quick to say that brought hurt and destruction to relationships, that maybe even ended relationships. How might your life look differently if you could just go back in time and take those words back? See, it's the strange thing about words, that they're so quick to leap from our lips and to get out before we even have a chance to wrangle them back. Once they're out, man, the damage is done. We like to say, as the nursery rhyme, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. But we all know that's not true. In fact, James is going to go on later in this chapter to say, if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, that person's religion is worthless. I know we live in a time where we're all allergic to that word religious. We like the word spirituality much better. James is thinking primarily of the teaching that Jesus has given to us that should just grab hold of us at the, the deepest core of our being, and we live it out there. But let's just use that word spirituality. If anyone thinks he is spiritual 
does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, that person's spirituality is worthless. James is going to go, back, uh, go on later in this letter to say, How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire, and the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. James, when he calls us to be slow to speak, knows that our, our words come from our heart and the core of who we are. And because our, our core is corrupt, it's, it's broken, it's, it's twisted, we're often able just to set the world on fire. So I've thought about this over the years and I've been a student of, of human nature. Uh, I came across this uh, modern proverb that goes like this. Just because a thought enters your mind does not mean it needs to leave your mouth. I try to live by that more and more the older I get. I wish I knew that when I was younger. Just because a thought enters your mind doesn't mean it needs to leave your mouth. Each of us should be slow to speak. In fact, when we do speak, the scripture gives us instruction on how we are to speak. For example, in the book of Ephesians, we're told, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Here Paul's writing to followers of Jesus, and he says, if you're going to speak, which we have to speak every day, he says, let those words be words that build others up, that give grace. Don't you want your words to have that power to build others up? Well, they do. It can give grace to those who hear. They can be words that heal and edify. Scriptures also tell us to let your conversation be always full of grace. And of course, we're called to speak the truth in love. So what does this mean? Following Jesus means we are learning to use our words in a way that honors Jesus. In fact, bringing our lives under the lordship of Jesus, seeking to be faithful students, and disciples of Jesus, goes even to the words that we speak. We want to honor Jesus. We want him to be able to look at our life and see the gospel of Jesus changing even the way we speak to one another. So James calls us to be quick to hear. He also calls us to be slow to speak. And he also calls us to be slow to anger. So we've got to ask the question, are you slow to anger? Think about when that person in your office who annoys you so much, are you slow to anger with that person? Or think about when you get in a debate with someone over a significant issue. Are you slow to anger even in that interaction? Or how about this? Dan and I were talking about this right before the service. How about when your favorite sports team fails? Are you slow to anger? Man, I prepared this this week, and uh, I don't know if I should go into this. Yesterday I was thinking, man, I got so much to repent of. Because <clears throat> my favorite sports team was not doing so well. When James calls us to be slow to anger, he's calling us to step into line with the character of our Creator. Remember when God revealed himself to Moses, he described himself as the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. 
God himself does get angry, but he's slow to anger. Anger itself is not wrong. Jesus himself got angry at times, but in that anger he did not sin. Maybe that's why the Apostle Paul, in writing to the Ephesians, said, Be angry and do not sin. In fact, there are times when we ought to be angry, especially when we see injustice in this world. We see people taking advantage of others and hurting others, using words to bring harm and destruction. We should get angry. In fact, if we're not getting angry at those kind of things, that's a, that's a sign that we're dead inside. Paul says, Be angry. Do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And give no opportunity to the devil. I appreciate these words of wisdom from Paul. He knows that there's a way to be angry, but he knows how easy that righteous anger can turn into unrighteous anger. That's why we ought to be slow to anger. So James says, Let every person be slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Here he gives the reason why we ought to be slow to anger. And he says it that, that anger within us does not produce the righteousness of God. What does that phrase mean? Well, that word righteousness simply means right relating to other humans. Right relating to God. God gives us the standard of how we ought to relate to one another, right? Remember when Jesus was asked what the, the two great commandments are? He answered by saying, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbors yourself. That's righteousness living. That's the righteousness of God. And so James says, when we're angry, watch out, because that does not end up well. And so he goes on and says in verse 21, therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. Let's break this down just a little bit here. He says, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. It's almost like there's a, there's a garment we have that's polluted that we need to put off here. In fact, that phrase, put away, that, that word rather, is the same word that's used in Hebrews chapter 12 when it says, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And James, in writing to followers of Jesus, wants them to put off, to put away the sin that can cling so closely to us. Filthiness, rampant wickedness, this this immoral ways of being human in this world. Paul put it this way. Therefore, since we have these promises, dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. Paul would tell the Ephesians these words, put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. Let me pause there. How are we renewed in the spirit of our minds? By being quick to listen to the word of God. To be quick to hear how the gospel of Jesus should change and impact our lives. To be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Paul and James and the writer of Hebrews, in fact, the whole New Testament with one voice, calls us to put to death those things that are not right in our lives and to seek to bring to life those ways of living that bring pleasure to God. And James, in telling us to put that stuff away, tells us when we do that, we can receive with meekness 
the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. And just call attention to that phrase, the implanted word. It's like God is at work planting his word within us. In fact, we could put it like this. The implanted word is meant to take root in our hearts and produce fruit in our lives. This is always what God is aiming for in your life and in mine. And so we're to receive this with meekness. That is, when you think of, of meekness, a lot of times we have this synonym in English, which is not accurate. We, we say that's, that's weakness. Meekness, if you think in terms of like an animal like a horse, is power under control. Receive with meekness the word that's implanted into you. Some translations put it with humility. Receive that word. And then James goes on to say, which is able to save your souls. That's an interesting way for James to put it, right? I mean, he's writing to, to, to followers of Jesus who have already been saved, right? They put their trust in Jesus. They've had their sins forgiven. They've been granted eternal life. So they've been saved. So what does he mean here when it says, when you receive the word that's being planted in you, it's able to save your souls? Well, remember, the New Testament talks about three different aspects of our salvation. There's some fancy theological lingo. Let's just get it out on the table. There's that term justification which speaks to our being saved from the penalty of sin. That's what happens when we believe in Jesus. God forgives us of our sins. He clothes us in the righteousness of Christ. And so we've been saved from the penalty of sin, which is eternal separation from God. But there's also this aspect of sanctification, what we call the Christian life. And it's in this moment, in these moments that we live as followers of Jesus, that we are being saved from the power of sin. As God brings conviction into our lives, and we repent of that, and we learn how to do that more quickly and more earnestly to receive the grace that he's there to lavish upon us. Our, our lives change. And that sin that used to own us now at least gets a fight from us from time to time. And of course there's glorification when we will be saved from the presence of sin. So there's this past tense aspect when we've been saved from the penalty of sin. There's a present tense aspect when we're being saved by the, the power of, uh, from the power of sin. And there's that future aspect when we'll be saved from the presence of that. And I think it's at least that second and third aspect that James is talking about when he calls us to receive with meekness or humility the word that's implanted into us because it is able to save our souls. Save our souls from what? the power of sin that is at work within us. So let me ask you this question. In light of everything that we've heard together so far, how would you answer this question? What kind of me is God calling me to be? He's calling me to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger, and to receive the word that God is planting into our lives. So just a couple points of application, my friends, as we wrap up this study. The first one is this. Let's root ourselves in the gospel of Jesus. It's really easy at a time like this when we think about, oh, I'm not very good at listening to the word of God. Or, oh, man, I just speak without even thinking, and the words just get out there, and I do so much damage with them. Or, man, I just, I am slow. I'm actually, I'm slow not to grow angry. I'm very quick to get angry. And it's easy in moments like this just to have waves of self-condemnation and discouragement pass over us. But no, my friends, when we come under conviction and we realize how we failed and how we ought to live, it's not meant to discourage you. 
It's meant to grab hold of you and bring you to the cross of Jesus, where you confess that. And there's grace and mercy to cover you, and grace and mercy to change you. In fact, when we think about less our own failures and more about Jesus, we realize that Jesus lived the kind of life that James is calling us to live, right? Jesus was one who always was quick to listen to the word of God. In fact, when he was 12 years old and in the temple, the leaders there were astonished at the understanding that Jesus had of the scriptures. In fact, when Jesus began his earthly ministry, somewhere right around the age of 30, he began by being baptized, and then he was led into the desert. And while he was being tempted by the evil one, how did Jesus respond? He responded by quoting not simply the Hebrew scriptures, not simply the Torah, but the book of Deuteronomy. Three times, back to back to back, when he was presented with temptations, he quoted the book of Deuteronomy. He knew the scriptures inside and out. My friends, when was the last time you and I read the book of Deuteronomy? Let alone know it well enough to fight off temptation. Jesus was quick to listen to the word of God. But he was also slow to speak. Jesus never misspoke. He never had words come out of his mouth that were designed to destroy a person. Jesus always spoke appropriately. He always knew what to say in in certain situations. And people, when they listened to him, said, this man speaks with authority. This man speaks the truth with love. This man shoots straight. And we just see our lives and see God in whole new ways. Jesus spoke the word of God. Not only was he quick to listen to it, he was also quick to speak it. Uh, Let's think about this one. Jesus was slow to anger. If you read the Gospels, you know that there were plenty of occasions (laughs) for him to get angry. We read the Gospels and we see some of the ineptitude of the disciples of Jesus and how he told them over and over things like, you need to humble yourself. The least will be considered the greatest. And they get in these arguments with one another over and over about who's the greatest. I mean, I think if I was Jesus, I would have been losing my temper with them all the time, but he was slow to anger. The Bible does tell us there were times when Jesus was angry, when he was angry and grieved at the hardness of the human heart. And of course, there was a time when Jesus cleansed the temple because it had been turned into a marketplace, people were just using it to make money off others. And of course, there's that time in Matthew 23 when um, Jesus just, he basically went ballistic on the religious leaders of the day, pronouncing one prophetic woe over another, after another over them. They finally come to that point where they had hardened themselves. And the last thing Jesus had left for them was just woes. So Jesus was slow to anger, but he did get angry. And if there's one place that Jesus should have been angry, it was when they nailed him to the cross. You think about this, the the most beautiful, perfect person who has ever lived, who just went about doing good, whose words were life-giving and soul-reviving, was betrayed and handed over and tortured and then nailed to a cross. And if it was anywhere that Jesus would have been right in lashing out at others, it was there. But we see words like this come out of his mouth. Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they are doing. Those words are beautiful. 
that the one who had the right to become angry can in that moment intercede and ask God for forgiveness for these people and their rampant wickedness. He's the kind of Savior that you and I need. So that's the first point of application. Here's the second. Let's intentionally cultivate the soil of our heart. If God's desire is to implant the word of Christ deep within us, then let's cultivate our hearts so that it's not hard, that it, that it does receive the word implanted to us. We sang this song right before I got up to speak. Prepare our hearts, O God. Help us to receive. Break the hard and stony ground. Help our unbelief. Plant your word down deep in us. Cause it to bear fruit. Open up our ears to hear and lead us in your truth. My friends, what if that was the, the expression of our hearts continually? Not just simply when we gather together like we're doing this Sunday morning, but whenever we have opportunity to, to read or to hear the scriptures. What if we really wanted God to break up the hard and stony hearts that we have and to, to plant his word down deep in us in such a way that it bears fruit? That would be something, wouldn't it? The Apostle Paul, writing to the Colossians, the Christians living in that city, said, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. In the original, it's a plural. Let the word of Christ dwell in you all richly, or if we might put it in the text, and let the word of Christ dwell in y'all. He's thinking about when they get together, the word of Christ should be dwelling richly in them, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. He wants us to have the word of Christ dwelling richly within us. And what a beautiful opportunity we have week in and week out to gather together, to just take time and carve it out of our normally busy and insane weeks to come together and put ourselves at the feet of Jesus as we hear his word being spoken and as we hear it being taught. Let me ask you this question. What if we began to see our time together on Sunday mornings as one of the key times we are being discipled in the way of Jesus? If Sunday mornings weren't just a routine for many of us, but we're actually a time when we, we set aside time to come together because we want to learn more about Jesus and to learn to walk in his ways. How should that affect the way we enter this building? My friends, I know Sunday mornings are crazy. My bed never feels so good as it does on Sunday morning. <laughs> when our kids were younger, I know that that's when squabbling and fights broke out. Sunday mornings are sometimes difficult, and sometimes it is hard to, to get here and get our minds right and our hearts ready to receive. That's why we always have the very beginning of our service, just a moment of, of quiet, where we can just kind of calm down, take a deep breath, and just ask the Lord to meet us in this moment. Here's one more point of application. Let's consider carefully how we listen to the word. I'm actually echoing the words of Jesus in that parable about the soil that we, we mentioned earlier. He followed that up with telling us to, to consider carefully how we listen to the word. In explaining that parable, Jesus said this, As for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. Jesus here spotlights three things that can choke out the word of God in our lives. One is simply the cares of life. All the things that we've got to take care of and all the responsibilities that we have, that can choke out the word in our life. 
He also talks about the riches of life. Oh, man. You and I have so much opportunity to surround ourselves with entertainment, to do fun stuff. These are gifts of God. But man, they can take over our lives. We can actually care more about that than we do about receiving the word of truth. Ah, the pleasures of life as well. And there's so much in this life that brings us pleasure. These, again, are good gifts from God. But when those good gifts become the primary thing we want, it can choke out the word of God in our life. John Piper, in his book, A Hunger of God, put it like this. He said, the pleasures of life, quoting Jesus, these are not evil in themselves. These are not vices. These are gifts from God. They're basic meat and potatoes and coffee and gardening and reading and decorating and traveling and investing and TV watching and internet surfing and shopping and exercising and collecting and talking. And all of them can become deadly substitutes for God. So I was thinking about this and those three things that Jesus listed out there. I wonder if, if he was speaking to us today, if he might not add a few other things that catches our attention. What about just the busyness of life? Wow, so many of us are so busy. We have so much coming at us. We've got so many things to do. Our, our to-do list never gets done. And when it gets close to being done, a bunch more just jumps on there. What about the distractions of life? There's so much to distract us. Jesus says, listen, consider carefully how you listen. In fact, he says on another occasion, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. My friends, do we believe that? Let us be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. And let us with humility receive the word that God wants to plant into our lives. My friends, may the message of Jesus find good reception in your heart and may it produce the intended harvest both in this life and in the life to come.